Amen. Thank you. Open your Bibles to John chapter 5 tonight. John chapter 5 tonight. We're moving right along. There's a saying today. I hear it. I see it. I'm sure that you do as well. The saying goes, it's not about religion, rather it is about a relationship. And I hear that, maybe you hear the same thing. Uh, It is not about religion, but rather it is about a relationship. And it is is well-meaning. I get the point. Christianity hangs on and affords us a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's really the basis of our religion. Uh, I get the gist of it. I appreciate it. I'm not opposed to it. But I want to tell you tonight However, it is not entirely true. According to A. Merriam-Webster and the Webster's Dictionary, now that's been replaced by Google. Some folks don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, But according to the Webster Dictionary, religion is the service and worship of God. Uh, The New Oxford Dictionary says it is a belief in a God or God's and the activities connected with such belief. Well, if that is the definition, according to that definition, uh, Christianity, faith in Jesus, is a religion. We worship Christ. We serve Christ. And our faith, our belief set, is grounded in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, tonight, I want to propose to you, it is about religion, But more than that, it is about the right religion. And so I want to tell you, it is about religion, but it is about the right religion. It is about the right understanding of God. It is about the right understanding of Jesus and our faith in him. Now, in the day that John is writing this gospel, uh, new ideas are being tossed in, new practices are being added in, new revelation is being thrown into their Christian Understanding Now, not only that, in the day in which Jesus came, religion, true religion, had been distorted. In fact, it really had been hijacked, and it was not what God intended. Well, into that context, uh, John shows us that the truth matters. Really, that's the, that's the thing about this gospel. He is showing us the truth matters. Tonight, our message is entitled, A Religious Matter. A Religious Matter. Matter. Tonight we're in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. A religious matter. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in the first verse, God's word says this. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease With which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there 
and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but I am coming. When I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man that said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Verse 16, For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus, for he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for you tonight. We're thankful for this opportunity on a Monday night. We're thankful for a hope that stands in the midst of a messed up world. We're thankful that as we've gathered whatever situation we come out of or we stand in tonight that there is truth and that in that truth there's peace and in that there's salvation. Lord, we come, we thank you for that. We're thankful that you made a remedy, a way for us to be removed of our sin, forgiven of our sin. We're thankful for your grace and your kindness shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray now that as we study your word, I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray with ears that are open, with hearts that are open, I pray, that, Lord, that you're able to supernaturally speak to our hearts, to our minds, that we'll be shaped tonight, that it would not be a normal night, that we would just check off a Monday night, Night 24 that we would move through, but it would be a night when you again would speak through your word that's living and active. Lord, I pray that the, the result of that is that you are known. I pray that you are glorified. I pray that there's folks that, that find you, that trust you tonight for their salvation. And I pray that in every piece of it, your name is exalted. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name, in your name, amen. You may be seated tonight. All right, we've got a chunk of verses tonight. Let's move very quickly into our verses. Beginning in verse 1 tonight. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It tells us here, after these things, after the things of chapter 4, the things that had happened in Galilee, not all of them are recorded in John's gospel, but after those things, it says, after those that they went, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, uh, it was an unnamed feast. Now, there are some folks that try to speculate on that, that they have an issue with that. We're not sure what the feast was, if it was a Passover or if it was the feast of booths or tabernacles. John doesn't tell us what feast it was. I believe it was a normal Sabbath. Now, I get that from the context of the verses. I get that from what we're getting ready to see. Uh, but I believe in context, it was the Sabbath 
that is at issue. In verse 9, we're going to see that this day, these events occurred on the Sabbath. And so I believe Jesus had left Galilee, and I believe he was in Jerusalem for whatever reason, for a Sabbath day. Now, I believe the bigness of the statement of verse 1 shows the bigness that the role of the Sabbath had taken on. And that's what I think verse 1 is telling us. Understand, at this time, the Sabbath had become, it had grown to be, the measure of all law-keeping. It was a measure of people's commitment to their faith. It was, it had become the high watermark for Jewish practice. Now, what I mean by that is if you were devout, if you were committed, if you actually love God, it showed up in your commitment to the Sabbath. And that's what had happened in Jewish life. If, if you actually loved God and you were committed to God, you will be committed to the Sabbath. Now, I want you to see this and understand this. God ordained the Sabbath. They didn't invent it. He gave it to them. It, it, it came from him. God ordained the Sabbath. Now, listen, it was a gracious gift to his people. Sometimes we think, well, God gives us rules and they're a hardship. God gives us things to follow and he's mad at us. He's, he's trying to do something to us. No, he gave them the Sabbath. It came from him, but it was a gracious gift to his people. It was a day to rest. What's that worth today? It was a day to celebrate and to worship. It was a, a day to remember him that you would keep your priorities right. Do you know how easy it is to get a different priority set? Well, on this day, you would reset your priorities. It was a day for families to bond together, for families to share and worship, for families to be strengthened. And most of all, it served to point God's people and even those that were watching outside of his people to the greater rest that would come in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, that's the greatest thing. It's got all these great things. That's the greatest thing. It was always pointing to the rest we would have in Jesus Christ. Well, they had taken this good thing, they had taken this gracious thing, and they had turned it into something else altogether. We find here the heart of the Sabbath was missing. All right, verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porticos. There was a small gate. It was a narrow gate through the wall near the temple. Now it was called the sheep gate because it was through this gate that they would take the sheep to the temple that would be used for the sacrifices. Uh, by this gate, near this gate, there were, uh, was a pool, and there's actually two pools that are spring-fed, two pools that the springs would fill them up. They were called Bethesda. In Hebrew, it means house of mercy, house of mercy. Now, I think it's interesting. In Aramaic, it means house of shame, house of shame. Uh, the, this pool, these pools, Bethesda, the Bible says, had five 
porticos. It means covered porches. And so here, here are these two pools, and around them, surrounding them, are five covered porches. All right, verse 3. In these, in the covered porches, lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. The Bible says in these five porches lay a multitude of people. And the Bible says they were sick, they were lame, they were blind, they were withered. One translation means crippled and drying up. People that were actually so ill they were wasting away. The word multitude there, it means a mass of people. There's not just a few folks there. There's not just, just some folks there, but it is a sea of people. When you come to this narrow gate, these five porches are filled with people. There is a sea, a multitude of people covering the area. Now, I want you to imagine this sight. People are sick, and they're crippled, and because of that, they're sad and they're depressed. And these people that have gathered there in these masses, life had moved on without them. If they had a life before, whatever it was, it was gone now. And so life was moving on, and all they had were these memories. And their future is bleak. We don't know if we're going to get any better. It doesn't look like it. It's actually hopeless. I wonder how often someone died there and had to be covered over and carted off. You know it would be a common sight. They're there. This is the last result. They're there. They're sick, and they're sitting there waiting, and sometime when the sun comes up and they're there, they would find several of them had passed away, and they would cover them up and cart them off. I wonder if anybody even missed them. I don't know, last I heard of them, they were down there at that porch. They were down there trying to, to find some way to be healed, to have a normal life again. We haven't seen them in so many years. I wonder if they passed away, if somebody even missed them. Now see the irony, not far from there, over there are some people that are gathering to worship. There's some folks that are gathering. They've come to a different gate, but they're there at the temple, and they're there to worship. And so over here are some folks, and they are sick. They are suffering. They are hurting, but not that far over there. There are some folks there to worship. Now, not only could these people not go to worship, these that were sick and suffering, those worshiping people could not, would not come to them because if they did, they would be deemed unclean. And so here you have these two groups, and they're not that far apart. And this group, they're sick, and they're woeful, and they're suffering. And another group, they're there to worship. And probably in human nature, they have to pretend that they don't see the other group. And so here's this group, and they're there, and they're sick, and they're suffering, they're hoping for a miracle, and there's a group, and they're, they're worshiping over there, but they have to act like they can't see them. And these folks, they've come to worship, and there's these folks, and they're suffering, and when they go by, they look over the top of them, they act like they can't see them over there. All right, I want you to see this. The end of verse 3, and then I'm going to read verse 4. All right, now listen, watch this. 
In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, all right, waiting for the moving of the waters. Mine and my translation, it's in brackets. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now I want you to see this. The end of verse 3 and all of verse 4 are not in the oldest manuscripts of the New Testament. They're not in the oldest copies of the book of John. About 400 years out, if you're to move back from there forward, this, these, ver- these words are there, but before that, they're not there. Now, let me explain that to you. Most likely some scribe, later trying to explain the situation, later trying to explain why they were there, trying to explain their mindset and their thinking, added these lines. And so if you go back and find the oldest manuscripts, these words are not there. But some scribe, and I'm telling you he was probably well-meaning, he wanted us to understand why they were there. He wanted us to understand why they would rush to get into the water. Understand, it was a superstition. It was a myth. When the spring would stir and would fill up again, it's a natural event. The myth was that if you would get in then, at that time, you would be healed. And somebody told somebody, and they went, and they got in. And somebody told somebody else, and they thought, I don't have any hope anyway. And so they attached their hope here. And somebody told somebody else, and somebody told somebody else. And it was not true. It was not a work of God. It was a superstition. And yet this hopeless mass of people have gathered, hoping maybe... Just maybe I'll be healed. Now, I want to point out some things to see, to note right here. And I think they're very important. First is this. I want you to see tonight, and I want you to be aware of this. See how close the fault gets to the real. I want you to think about that. I want you to use your brain to think about that. See how close the false gets to the real. You see, this is the temple. This is not some pagan place. This is not somewhere else. This is the temple. This is where the priests are at. This is where the sacrifices are made. They can see each other. Friends, be very sure tonight, the false always tries to copy the real. The false always tries to be connected to the real, and so the false always gets close to the real. Let me tell you this. Let me warn you of this. It's the same today. It's the same today. Look at our world. Look at the state of the church today. It is the same today. It's not the false teachings outside of the church. I can tell you all about those. It's not the false teachings outside of the church. It's the ones that are welling up inside of it. It's not the deviations outside the church. We see those guys go by on their two bikes. We know they're not believers. We know they're not Christians. It's the ones that start to accept it and let it well up inside the church. The false always gets close to the real. Second thing we see is this. We saw it yesterday. 
See how the fault always results in disappointment. We saw that in our verses yesterday as well. The fault always results in disappointment. There's no hope there, not any real hope. There, there's no remedy there, not a, not a true remedy. And so these broken people, these suffering people, these brokenhearted people, that they are clamoring, they are seeking, oh, that something might happen today. It didn't happen yesterday. It didn't happen last week. Oh, but that something might happen today. And they are disappointed, continuously disappointed. The fault always results in disappointment. And then I want you to see this and praise the Lord. The third thing to see is this. And that's always where Jesus shows up. <laughs> Do you see that? That's always where Jesus shows up. I, I, I was looking at this and I, I was thinking about this in, in John so far. He doesn't go and say, I'm going to have big dinners with all the religious folks. I've got a calendar full of important dates. He goes to Samaria to the woman at the well. He goes to Cana where they're not even going to believe him. And now he goes to this place. That is always where Jesus shows up. In the midst of the dark, here comes the light. In the midst of the hopeless, here comes the help. In the midst of a lie, why would you go anywhere else? Here comes the truth. And this is where Jesus always shows up. Isn't that always how he does it? This is where Jesus always shows up. All right, verse 5. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. The literal translation, the original language says, listen to this. A man was there having spent 38 years. That's the literal translation. Having, listen to the word, spent 38 years. He spent those years at the mercy of others. He spent those years in hopelessness. He spent those years in despair, 30 and 8 years. He wasn't going to get any better. It had been 30 and 8 years. If there was going to be a movement, it had already happened. He, he's been there for 30 and 8 years. 13,870 days, the sun came up, and when the day was spent, he spent it in illness. 13,870 evenings, when the sun went down, he spent the night in sadness, dreading another day. 30 and 8 years, he spent. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? He said to him, do you wish to get well? Verse 6, Jesus sees this man. It says he knows that he, he sees his condition. He knows how long he's been there. And he asked the man, do you wish to get well? Now, that sounds like a silly question. Of course he does. Of course he does. Who wouldn't want to be well? That's why he's there. That's why he's at this place. Do you wish to get well? It sounds like a silly question unless you're Jesus, unless you can actually do something about it, unless you have the power to make him well. 
Sir, do you wish to get well? Verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Verse 7, the man could have said yes. Do you wish to be well? Yes, that's what he could have answered, but instead he has a reason why he's not well. Instead, he has an explanation for his condition. He goes into it. He has an excuse for why he's sick. Somebody else always beats me to it. Nobody's here that will ever help me here. I'm sure in the years of sitting there, those years have made him foul. Those years have made him bitter. I'd probably be more so than he is. But he blames others. They always go first. I can't get any help. Let me point something out here that we see very clearly in this verse. This man misunderstood God. This man misunderstood how God works, and he for sure doesn't know the one who he is talking to. He followed a religion, watch this, is the wrong religion. He followed a religion, but it was the wrong religion. He doesn't know that God doesn't operate on a first-come, first-served basis. That's what he thinks. He doesn't know that's not our God. He doesn't know that the creator God of the world would know him and would care for him. He can't even imagine that that's who he's talking to. He doesn't know that his grace is for all people. It wasn't just for those that were worshiping up yonder. It wasn't for just those that could get somehow in the water. He didn't know that his, this God wasn't tied to some system of rituals. And if you missed a step, then you had to be lost. If you messed it up along the way, then you were doomed. He didn't know it was by faith that we're saved, not of any work that he or anyone else might do. He had a religion, friend, but it was the wrong religion. Verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Verse 9, immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. I want you to see this. Jesus heals him. It's not talking about salvation. Understand that. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about he heals him. He can walk. And see this, it says immediately, verse 9, immediately. It was the power of God. It was the grace of God. It wasn't maybe some medicine will come along, maybe some cure will come along. Immediately, in the grace of God, in the power of God, he is healed. It reveals the goodness of God. Get up. He gets up, and immediately he is made well. The end of verse 9. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. All right, here comes the trouble. Verse 10. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Now, remember, the Sabbath was the day to rest in God. It was the day to remember, to celebrate and worship God. Notice here, these guys don't say, praise God. They don't say, praise the Lord. They don't say, look at the power of the one that we follow. 
Isaiah had said a couple hundred years earlier that in the days of the Messiah, the lame would leap about like a deer. They don't remember that. They don't say these may be those days. Praise the Lord, this might be the Messiah. They don't worship God. They're mad. Can you imagine? They say this man breaks the sacred rituals. He's walking. He's healed. He's breaking our rules. They had a religion. It's just the wrong religion. They had a religion. They had a belief set. They served and worshiped something. It was just the wrong religion. They missed the truth. They wanted to keep checking off things off their past list. Here's another thing we're not doing. Here's another thing we're not doing. Here's the thing we are doing. They wanted to keep all the regulations to a perfect T. They couldn't extend grace to this man because they didn't know the Savior of grace. So they say to him, it's not permissible to carry a pallet. What's wrong with you? At this point in Jewish history, the Jewish ordinances, the oral traditions, now these weren't from God, these have been added by the Pharisees, they included, listen to this, 39 categories of forbidden work. Now it doesn't say here's 39 acts of work that are forbidden, it actually is 39 categories of things that are forbidden to do, forbidden works. At this point, listen, to carry his pallet, according to the oral tradition of these Jews, imagine this, it had become a stonable offense. They look to these 39 categories and category 27, there it is. And they go through category 27 to section A, number 14, and there it is. And this offense is stonable, punishable by death. Can you imagine that? So the Jews are saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Verse 11. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to let you in on something. Starting in verse 11, (laughs) I start to have an issue with this guy. Starting in verse 11, now you may get mad at me, but I start to have an issue with this guy starting in verse 11. Notice here, he doesn't say, I'm healed. He doesn't say, hey, I can walk. He doesn't say, 30 and 8 years, I have spirits, and now I'm healed. He doesn't say, praise the Lord, look what's happened to me. That's not what he does. He knows the seriousness of the charge. He knows what they're saying. He knows the seriousness of the charge. And yet he says, the one who made me well told me to do it. He puts Jesus under the gun. Who who, who told you to do this? Hey, I can walk. Can you see it? The one who made me well told me to do it. Some thanks. I think I know that guy. There's a couple of them around. I won't say any names. Verse 12. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? Verse 12, all these verses are very telling. They didn't say, who healed you? 
They didn't, they didn't say, who made you better? They didn't, they didn't say, what happened here? They said, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? Again, there's no astonishment in them. There's no joy in there, in their hearts. They're there to worship. No, they're not. Verse 13. But the man who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. In verse 13, the, the Greek word, the original language for slipped away means gone in the turn of a head. It means if you look over and look back, they are gone. And so he says, get up, walk, pick up your mat. He does that. He looks back over and Jesus is gone. He's gone in the turn of a head. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Jesus finds the man in the, in the crowd now at the temple. Now, not that long ago, this man couldn't go to the temple, but he's now in the temple. He finds them there, and evidently Jesus is not done with him. Jesus knows his heart. Jesus isn't finished with the conversation. He says, behold, it means see. See, you've become well. He's talking to that man. He has no doubt. Look, you have become well. And he says, do not sin anymore. It means repent. It means turn from your sin. Here's what it most literally means. It means turn your direction away from sin. Look at you. You've been made well. Turn your direction away from sin. He's calling him to repent, to turn from his sin and to turn to God. He says, so that nothing worse happens to you. Now, I want to explain that. He's not threatening him. He's not saying your, your sin is what made you sick. And if you go back to sin, you're going to get worse than you were before. You may be even sicker. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you may be forever lost. He's talking about eternal suffering. He's saying if you thought 30 and 8 years was bad, if you keep on in your sin, if you never repent and you never turn to God, there is something worse than 30 and 8 years of suffering. It is an eternity of suffering. In his grace, he tells him, repent, see, repent. There's something worse than what you just went through. Verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Verse 15 seals the deal for me on this guy. He doesn't praise God. I want, look at the account. He doesn't praise God. He doesn't thank Jesus. He doesn't thank him. I don't know who he was. He slipped away, I remember, but, but now I see him in the temple. He doesn't come and say, thank you. He doesn't fall on his knees and praise him. It's, it's never a, a, a fact that he might go witness to somebody else. This is the man who made me well. Praise the Lord, I'm well today. He doesn't witness about the man that made him well. One time I preached through Luke. Remember, there was a guy named Blind Bartimaeus. became one of my favorite stories. Remember the story of Blind Bartimaeus? He is blind. He's hopeless. He has no hope. He has no hope. 
Jesus comes by and Jesus is making his way outside of Jericho. He's making his way to Jerusalem. He's actually making his way to the cross. Making his way to the cross. And there's this guy and he has no hope and he can't see. And he says, oh, son of David. He calls out for Jesus. And in Luke chapter 18, verse 43, I want you to see this. It says, and immediately, same word. Immediately he regained his sight. Immediately he regained his sight. Here's what the verse says. And he began following him, glorifying God. That word for glorifying God means heaving God up, exalting God, holding God up. And so he began to follow him and he began to heave the name of God up. He began to exalt the name of God. Verse 43 says, and when the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Listen to me tonight. That's what you do when you run into Jesus. That's the response you have when you've been made well by Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what you do. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. It was him. Listen to verse 16. And for this reason, for that reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. The word for persecution, it's not harming. It's not that word. It's not yet. The the original language for persecution, it means pursuing, chasing, to hunt, desiring to overtake. And so I want you to see, because of that, this guy says it was him, it was, it was Jesus. Because of that, the hunt for Jesus begins. The chase for Jesus begins. These Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, they start to try to catch him. They start to say, you know what, we can't stand him. It ends at the cross of Calvary. And the hunt for Jesus begins this day. You see, they had a religion, but it was the wrong religion. I want to tell you tonight the good news that we have. The good news that we have tonight is there is true religion in Jesus. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to try to piece all these things together. We have the true religion and the truth himself. His name is Jesus. And I want to tell you tonight, whatever your situation is tonight, there's hope in the truth. There's hope in Jesus. Maybe you're going through some tough spot in your marriage, some tough spot in your relationships, some tough spot in raising your kids, maybe in your finances, maybe in a point in life. I don't know how I ever got here. I never thought my life would turn out like this. I want to tell you, in the truth of our Savior, there is hope in Jesus. There's power in Jesus. There's grace in Jesus. There's the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. And I want to tell you this, as the truth the truth will always stand. We have hope in Jesus tonight. That's our good news. I'm going to end tonight by asking you, tonight, night 24, Vernon, Texas, I'm going to ask you to evaluate your response tonight. Are you excited about Jesus? Are you, are you excited? Are you glad 
for your salvation. Listen tonight, we get so worried about all the things that are terrible, all the things that we're not going to make it through. I don't know if we're ever going to get through these things. Are you glad about your Savior tonight? Are you glad? Are you excited about your salvation in Jesus tonight? Have you ever shouted out like blind Bartimaeus tonight? Are you telling others? Are you sitting on your, on your own message, your own testimony? Are you telling others? You see, your event is just as awesome as his. Saved in the grace, a powerful, kind Savior. What is our response? What is your response to Jesus tonight? Let's pray. Dream Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful that in these ancient words, ancient, yes, but relevant, yes, living, yes, active, yes, speaking to us tonight, yes. We're thankful that you lead us to the living word, Jesus. We're thankful that we find hope in a hopeless world. We find the forgiveness of our sin, the shame that stacks up on us. We're thankful that we can have peace that endures tonight. Lord, we just praise you for it. We thank you for it. Lord, I pray as this, as this message wraps up, I pray that you have spoken to us. I know that you have. I pray now that we're prepared to respond, and I pray that, Lord, folks turn to you tonight trusting you for their salvation this very night. And I pray that believers are encouraged tonight, excited, glad for their Savior and their salvation. The fruit of it is that we tell a lost world about you. Lord, we pray that in this you have been, you will be known and glorified. You are worthy. We love you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation, a time to respond to the truth of God's word. We preach God's word, calling folks to a, message, to a response to it. Here's, here's the good news. There is a Savior tonight. There is hope tonight. That hope, that Savior's name is Jesus. The Bible says we've all sinned, all of us. In our sin, we have, we have guilt already. We have condemnation already. We stand under the wrath of God. The Bible says God sees us as we hurt. Like these, these people under this porch, he sees us in our hurt. He loves us. And in his grace, he sends his only begotten son. He comes, he lives a life he never sins. Because he never sins, he's able to offer himself in my place and your place. Able to pay the payment for our sin. That's what he does at the cross. There he goes to the cross and he's stretched out, nailed to the cross, and he dies for your sin and my sin that we might be forgiven of it. He never sins. He doesn't need forgiveness. He goes in our place. There he pays for our sin. He's pulled off of that cross. He's put in a borrowed grave. Three days later, he comes out of the grave and he stands as the risen, resurrected Savior, the hope for sinners. And the Bible says, listen, the good news, if you will but trust in him, doesn't say if you'll attend church this many times, if you'll memorize this many verses, if you'll get your life looking like this. It says if you'll understand you're a sinner and he is your remedy, if you'll but trust him, you shall be saved. That is the good news of our Savior, Jesus. If you've never done that tonight, I want to encourage you, do that tonight. Trust him tonight. Turn to him tonight. He will save you tonight. If you've, if, if you've done that, but you've never fought in believer's baptism. I want to give you an opportunity to come and say, well, I, I've trusted Christ. I know that I have. Maybe it's recent. Maybe it's further back. But I've never fought in believer's baptism. The Bible says it's always after the point that we're saved, always by immersion. That's the New Testament teaching. 
And so you would say, you know what, I, I want that testimony to stand. I want folks to know what I believe of Christ. And you come, we'll set a day. It'll be a great day of celebration, testifying to who you are in Christ and what we believe of our Savior Christ. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you believe that God has led you here and you've prayed about it. You come as well and together we'll serve his name, upholding his gospel for his glory. Maybe tonight on this Monday night, you want to come pray at an altar tonight. Maybe you want to come pray with me tonight. I don't know uh, what situation is going on. Maybe you just want to come in humility seek him tonight. The Bible says nothing is too big, nothing is too small. He's kind and he's gracious and he's powerful. I'm going to ask that no one would head for an exit, no one would stir about, that you'd pray for those that are making decisions. As we stand to sing, if God has spoken to you, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here. <laughs>